Behind the noise with Adam Bornstein. Behind the noise, behind the noise. Episode 2. From the Danish Red Cross, I'm Adam Bornstein. This is Behind the Noise. It's Monday, February 10th. So a pink diesel Land Cruiser just rolled up in front of the Kenya Red Cross office here at the Boma Inn in Nairobi. Its engine is idling and creating some background noise. As I sit outside here in the garden with uh, Will Ruddick from Grassroots Economics and Nick Williams from Sempo. Looks like the driver just reclined his seat, so I'm probably gonna head over there and ask him if he can turn it off. So as I'm walking over there, let me tell you a little bit about today's podcast. So today we'll be talking about the viability, the necessity, and perhaps the practicality of central bank digital currency. This comes on the back of a um, blockchain project called Community Inclusion Currencies that the Red Cross is working on with Will and Nick and others here in Africa. So last week, U.S. Federal Reserve Governor Brainerd said that the central bank is studying the potential for digital currency. She was quoted as saying, we're collaborating with other central banks as we advance our understanding of central bank digital currencies. It's pretty clear. Now, the Federal Reserve has a history in the United States that dates back to the bank panic of 1907. This is um, when J.P. Morgan called in his wealthy friends. Uh, They sat down in his house. They had some tea and most likely some whiskey. And they discussed basically supporting the U.S. economy by flooding the system with, with cash. And they would do so until the crisis passed. So fast forward 110 plus years later, the Fed has created a very accommodating environment with lots of liquidity in the market. To the point now where we're facing negative or even near negative um, interest rates in uh, several European countries. And this negative interest rate environment has essentially rendered the central banks useless. This brings us full circle. We see countries like Sweden with the e-kroner and other countries contemplating their own national currencies. So let's see where this takes us. Join us as we dig into the issues and get behind the noise. This is episode two. The Danish Red Cross's award-winning innovative finance and systems change team is on the clock 24-7, spinning up and developing scalable, commercially viable, and ecosystem-driven solutions and mechanisms for a complex and fluid humanitarian universe. Interested in being inspired? Tweet the team at DRC Innovation. I think it's interesting because, I mean, so much of Bitcoin was sort of this attempt to sort of get away from government control into money. And I think there'd be a certain irony if sort of the end result of sort of blockchain and cryptocurrency was it being used as a tool for central banks to basically completely maybe even monopolize the money supply so that concepts of you know monetary expansion by banks which is you know yeah. makes up something like 98 percent of the money supply right now becomes potentially even outlawed isn't uh, this what <laughs> modern monetary theory is supposed to be about too right like don't they want to know who I, they want to know at least who is issuing credit in their country in their name right so if like i'm the u.s central bank or i'm the federal reserve i want to know how many banks are issuing how much credit and backed by what, right? And so for them to issue a central bank uh, currency and, and force um, those banks to have a on-chain reserve and regulate that, that's that's a way they can regulate the, the fractional reserve system, right? 
So, so basically, if all banks in the world are all of a sudden, so get what the IMF wants is that all banks have 100% reserve of a blockchain-based currency, then all of a sudden you you can actually regulate all the banks because right now they're not really regulated at all. You well, the Fed regulates it. They say you have to have 10% of your reserves. Yeah, that's not true. How do you know it's not true? It's just not true. There's, there's all. I mean, so a bank can have all kinds of things as a reserve, and there's, there's a whole bunch of other different like capital requirements, but like they're not, they're not audited. There's, you know, like, I mean, I, I would just told this in like Canada, there's absolutely no reserve requirement whatsoever. Yeah, it's the same in Australia. We dropped our factional reserve requirement. And I'm going to get called out by someone for getting yeah. the date wrong, but I think it's like 19, I want to say 1988 or 1978. You're googling it right now. You're pretending like you're memorized. But you're <laughs> no, I, I genuinely, I'm, res I'm reserving, I'm googling it right now, but I don't have it on me. So yeah, we think banks are regulated, but they're not. And so there's this constant, constant push to sort of inflate the monetary supply. Um, Not in '88. So yeah. So thank you, Google. I mean, but this is one of those things. I think like this is actually one of those things that like most people don't realize. Like there's sort of a spectrum of understanding in terms of like how people believe like sort of the the commercial banking system works. At one end of the spectrum, you've got this belief that you know, Will will deposit a dollar, my bank will work out what to do with it, and then give out that dollar to Adam instead. Um, Those are ibis. Ibis, the birds. Yeah. Um, which is not true. Um, the are. sort of the middle fractional reserve version is we'll deposit a dollar and the bank will lend it out to both me and Adam at the same time, which is somewhat more true. And that's I think it was the governor of the Reserve Bank of Australia which has said that's the sort of the fairy tale that we tell and economists charge students. on it. Yeah, and they're charging. And interest. that interest comes from other banks or them, you know. So there's this constant inflation of at least something like seven percent in every country across the world, right? So the yeah. monetary supply is inflating by seven percent a year, and that's an exponential curve. And right now we're, you know, close to like doubling our entire credit supply every single year right now. Like we're we're in the super exponential part of that curve. Yeah. And, so so yeah. yesterday you 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 put something out on the IMF, right? And what was that report about? Well, so they, they there's this kind of like open, they, you know, all the stuff we're talking about is now it was kind of like something that was sort of debated in the past, and the IMF just put out a working paper just admitting all this. They just came out and said, yeah, well. Um, Actually, banks create the money supply, central banks don't, and um, really, you know, like the, the regulation around reserves is almost not really there at all. And so we basically have a runaway system of for-profit banks creating our entire money supply um, and putting the entire world essentially into debt and, you know, causing a huge amount of, you know, runaway sort of economic expansion that is kind of destroying the planet. I mean, they didn't say all of that, but... You know, that was kind of the essence of it. And they sort of link back to this idea that they've been pushing for years now of central bank digital currencies, which, you know, nowadays with blockchain becomes much, much more possible than it was, you know, seven, eight years ago. But they've been, IMF has been pushing that concept for quite a long time and, and basically, you know, saying to the world that, you know, the current banking system is unsustainable. And that's a big deal coming from the IMF. That's not something you would hear every day from them. I mean, it's kind of a... If we take a step back, I mean, because is it the Chicago plan and yeah. the revised Chicago? Yeah. It's kind of a, a really big Which jump. On, what is it? That was 2012. That came out. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, the Chicago plan, the original Chicago plan was like advocating for pool reserve banking. I think this one is too. 
What's the difference? I, I actually don't know the difference between the two. But, I mean, that's kind of a huge jump to go from, like, fractional... Res- well, this myth of fractional reserve banking that we have right now, which is, you know, this idea that, you know, you lend a dollar and then the bank just doesn't even care how much dollars they have. They're just going to create money and hand it out to people. To jump all the way to the other end of the spectrum, which is banks now have to keep everything fully reserved on the system, which means that the only way they can make money is by charging you know, transfer fees. fees and stuff yeah. like that. Yep. I mean, at its core, I mean, fractional reserve banking has some utility to it, which is that, you know, if, if money uh, is a useful, you know, has this capital has some sort of utility, you know, if Adam is going to go and create a store with it, like that, that loan is generating, yeah. under the assumption the loan isn't a bad loan, is generating utility. So, so we're funny. stripping a lot of That's utility so, out of so the my, system. So my argument is, let them create credit. Don't call it a US dollar, right? So if Wells Fargo wants to make Fargo bucks and Barclays wants to make Barclays bucks, fine. Call them that and they are equal to a dollar as long as they maintain their reserve. 100% reserve? No. Well, we can call it that. So, so this is the the idea of. I mean, we can have this debate around whether uh, whether or not if a, so a currency can be created on what's called a bonding curve, right? So you can say that the value of each token, as you cash it back out, these credits, as you cash it back out, it has a dollar value to it. So the first token has a dollar value. The second token has 0.99 dollars. The third token has 0.98 dollars as you go all the way down until you cash out that reserve. So you can create a credit system of, of Wells Fargo bucks that is useful within the Wells Fargo ecosystem, and as long as they maintain their reserve, it'll be equal to a dollar. right? So you could allow banks or villages in Kenya to create their own money on a pseudo kind of fractional reserve system as long as they're not creating national currency with it. Right, it's as long as it's their own currency that is backed by their own reputation and their own goods and services. There's no problem with that. Right, it's like a consumer credit. And then you hope that it keeps a close to one to one exchange rate with the. Well, it's their prerogative to do so, and it, and if it doesn't, then their currency value is going to collapse. And and so look, in Kenya, every two years we have a bank collapse, and they take down hundreds of thousands of people with them. Right. And, and they're not, I mean, the, the, the equivalent of FDIC insurance here doesn't cover, you know, even a, a tiny fraction of it. There's kind right. of a, like a very easy way to get for a bank to get around this though, right? Because, I mean, so if we talk about like, you have a checking account and you have a savings account, right? And so your savings, your checking account is kind of M0 or near money, right? In that like, if you have something in your checking account, it's easy to remove and easy to put back in and it's easy to convert between cash. And... The, the one that really tricks everyone is that in your savings account, there isn't any dollars backing that. That's the one that's sort of this made up thing where, you know, you move money between your checking and your savings account and the bank quickly digs up a dollar to make it, like, fill its place. And But not only that is that when they borrow money from, from the Fed, they're getting it at a discount to yeah. basically what you would be getting in the market. Yeah, and we can go into all kinds of chaos. Yeah, right. So it's already again. <laughs> but derivatives. So the, yeah, I mean, so this is the thing that no one realizes that money in your savings account isn't actually a dollar. It's actually a derivative, like created by the bank. Like we, everyone, most people in the world have most of their money in a derivative, which is a very strange concept to think about. But that that derivative it's is like what would kind of become the Fargo buck, right? 
because the, the savings account remains the savings account and then you just have to create the incentives to, for people to keep yeah. the amount of money in their savings account small. Yeah, but the nice thing about that is to say if it was all done on blockchain, you would know what was behind it, right? So the idea of having mm. backing on chain, I think, is a beautiful concept. Yes. And to say, like, okay, so if we make a, a central bank digital currency and we put that on blockchain and we say, okay, you're able to create credit as long as you maintain some backing in these these credits, these currencies, then at least we know they exist, right? We can give you a second by second value of your credit. Yeah. And, and and that's what we've been missing for the last, you know, seven years. I mean, this is something that's like I think to me is like a really exciting permutation of sort of blockchain work is not to sort of scrap the entire financial system from the ground up. Because I mean there's a lot of tools that we use, like you know, CDOs and all of these other things that basically were responsible for the GFC are fundamentally useful tools. Like, they exist because they have some sort of financial GFC utility. is what? Global financial crisis. Okay. Is that what... You guys don't call it that in the... For Americans, it's we just the American it, financial crisis. Australia's fault. <laughs> yeah. It's just the uh, financial crisis. The financial crisis. The financial crisis. So in Period. Australia, we call it the global financial crisis. Right. Um, but, I mean, they, they, were, they weren't fundamentally bad tools. They were just tools that got abused beyond all limit because no one knew what was inside these sort of right. repackaged mortgages. There's no on-chain and to audit something like that is ridiculous. It's like going and, and trying to audit like, you know, what's what's backing all these like, um, you know, what was behind the, the housing crisis, for instance, right? So that Australia. by the time you get to audit... Australian subprime mortgages. Right. Yes. <laughs> by, the, by the time a bank gets to... So like these banks in Kenya, they're, they're over-issuing credit like crazy. By the time anyone gets around to auditing them, it's way too late. Way yeah. too late. It's like two years too late. You know? When was the last time a bank failed in Kenya? It's like two years ago. Chase. Mm. I mean, it's it's a fascinating. And before concept. that, Imperial. Yeah. And it was huge. It was my daughter's school lost their entire money wow. for Imperial Bank, and that was a great bank according to everyone. And so was Chase. We call yeah. it a Madoff. Yeah, somebody made off. Bernie made off. And literally. <laughs> yeah. um, Cool. But it's crazy to think that we, right now, like, I think this is Hayek who came up with this concept, but we, we don't even know how much US dollar there is out there if you start to count sort of this not-so-near money of, you know, these savings accounts. Like, in terms of fundamental things about the US economic system that we should know, doesn't that feel like something we should be able to work out is just how many US dollars right. exist? Like, like, we're in a real big hurry to figure out, like, how many trees still exist in the Amazon, things like that, right? Like... Well, it'd be good if we also knew how many dollars there were because, the, you know, like all these things are kind of linked, right? Like if we have this runaway process of putting everyone into debt and everyone's got to make as much money as possible by cutting down trees, you know, like all these things yeah. are really linked. And so it's like one of the metrics we don't know as humans that it's ridiculous. Yeah. And we're probably in, in problems now, too, when with all the uh, uh, with interest rates being so low, you know, with the next sort of global financial crisis <laughs> essentially we're gonna we're gonna you know we're not gonna have any liquidity left so central banks are basically defunct yeah when we've got the interest rate track right yeah exactly I mean I mean this is where I mean this is why you've seen some central banks start to shift towards using negative interest rates um, yeah but I mean I wonder I wonder how far that's gonna go like how negative our interest rates gonna get are we gonna have like negative 10 percent interest rates no because people people will naturally find some asset to well, presumably, people will find an asset to offload on to before Bitcoin they... by that time. You know, right. like once once you continue interest... to start, you continue buying Bitcoin. Yeah, okay. but I mean that's the whole. That, I mean that's maybe, the whole maybe point Cardano of too. 
It's yeah. literally the entire point of negative interest rates is to force people into like hopefully productive assets. Right. Well, that okay, worked so, really well in Japan, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> so, so the, the Hayek idea of all this was to say that allow groups with productive assets or private banks to issue their own currencies and make those competitive. And so if you wanted to buy into this ecosystem of businesses that that bank represents, you would buy those currencies, right? And so that would be your productive asset. Like Bitcoin, you could you could say it is, you know, buying into the ecosystem of 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 that blockchain, you know. But I guess my point is is that like when you think about like what buying into that bank represents, I mean, that bank is you're not going to be like most people probably won't trade with these whether they're derivatives or you know some other like tokenized asset that represents the bank shares you're already kind of doing is it you know like if you let's say you're a norwegian and you decide to hold us dollars let's say you just dig a big hole and you just buy a whole ton of us dollars like yeah. you sort of are buying into you're, no, you're, you know you're you could do the same thing with yen yeah. or you could do this you know but the difference is is my point is is that 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 money at the moment that is basically this not near money i can't remember the exact terminology right m1 m2 m3 mn um that's the stuff that people don't really trade with on a day-to-day basis anyway. It's kind of the stuff that people just sits in people's savings accounts. So, I mean, how much how much difference is it actually going to make to swap people to, like, having Fargo bucks as opposed to US dollar? If... It, it, it's just rails. You but... know, if it's so easy, like, if I'm holding a share of Apple right now and I can buy a beer with it, maybe I would. You know, if it's that easy, if it's really built into the whole rail system... You know, all the payment platforms and everything, you know, where you can use shares essentially as regular payment. Wouldn't, I mean, I'd expect that, my suspicion is that most people would convert to US dollars first. So it it would be exactly like the current system. So you take your derivative, as it is currently in your your check, your savings account, you convert that into a US dollar, and then you trade with that US dollar. That's how the system works right now. And... I'd be surprised if, you know, somehow forcing Fargo to call their derivative savings account dollars, Fargo dollars or something like that would actually change anything except for maybe the label on your savings account. Yeah, well, um, they're not inflating the US dollar anymore, though. Right? Why aren't they? Because it's not US dollars. But if you Fargo, start changing Fargo the currency, then what about interest rates? What are you going to start charging on bank rates? Well, so the bank, in order to be competitive... Would, I mean, they said this whole idea of like competitiveness among those banks. They want to, people to buy into their ecosystem, just like Apple wants you to buy their products, right? They want you to have, you know, X, Y, Z. Like Google wants you to use Google Calendar and all that stuff. So it would be the same thing with, with private currencies. Like you're incentivized for people, you're incentivizing people to to stay in your ecosystem, right? You're, it's like incentivizing people, like incentivize, like American taxpayers, like the, you know, like they're. The, the government tries to incentivize farmers to, you know, farm in certain ways and, you know, not necessarily leave the country and, you know. That's a horrible example. Yeah, it is. It's really bad. <laughs> well, I guess you get like, the idea. Yeah, yeah. So, anyway, you know, last words. Any final comments, guys? <laughs> On the note of farmers I mean, leaving the United States? Practicality. Well, oh, you go. Here. Sell into the, into the U.S.? You know, rather than export their product. I know, no, that's not no, even dude, true. I mean, without, without yeah, like, food exports, aid, yeah. farmers would have a hard time in the United States. Because a lot of food aid sure. is sure. underwritten by a farmer. Yeah. Yeah. Attracting business to the U.S. How good is high fructose corn syrup, am I right? Yeah, exactly. That's what so delicious. Uh, I mean, practicalities aside, I think, like, uh, the idea of money as a public good, I think is something that's 
somewhat I, I quite like it and so the idea that digital currency should be on a blockchain which is a fundamentally sort of quite compatible with the idea of a public good I think makes a lot of sense even ignoring some of the impracticalities of you know what a Fargo buck looks like or any of the other, other things I think just yeah. that transparency that would bring to like how we work with money is a pretty interesting idea yeah I, I think we're going to run out of excuses not to do that in the next five to ten years it only requires one bank to do it I mean one or fed. one country even yeah Cool. All right, boys. Farewell. Be well. Thank you. Cheers. Mr. Will. Mr. Nick. Is that what you're looking for? If you don't know, now you know. The Danish Red Cross's award-winning innovative finance and systems change team is on the clock 24-7, spinning up and developing scalable, commercially viable, and ecosystem-driven solutions and mechanisms for a complex and fluid humanitarian universe. Interested in being inspired? Tweet the team at DRC Innovation.